Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови забета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Субтитры 
Христа, и в сердце вольется сладость, которой не знал никогда. Самая светлая радость волю исполнить Отца, увидеть свое призвание, прийти к совершенству Творца. Самая светлая радость волю исполнить Отца, увидеть свое призвание, прийти к совершенству Творца. Сытная пища, та, что в книге святой, Ей сыт и доволен нищий, с измученной душой. Самая чистая песня, песня сердечной хвалы, Она возносится к Богу из кроткой смиренной души. Самая чистая песня, песня сердечной хвалы, Она возносится к Богу из кроткой смиренной души. Самое мирное время, когда ты вообще не с ним, Тогда этой жизни время, Кажется легким таким, Когда же сгущаются тучи, И тьма готова объять. Самая лучшая участь За имя его страда. Когда же сгущаются тучи, И тьма готова объять. Самая лучшая участь за имя Его страда. Самое высшее счастье Надежде Христа ожидать, Облечься в Его воскресенье И новым творением стать. Самое высшее счастье Учение Христова познать Наполнится всей полнотою И Богу во всем угождать. Самое высшее счастье Учение Христова познать Наполнится всей полнотою И Богу во всем Призвание прийти к 
и совершенство Творца. Субтитры 
So those of you who have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches and the wisdom of God, that the Lord, with every hour, every day, for those who seek His face, reveals Matthew 5, 45 and 48 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. We more than once have noted that this promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. In other words, they need to accept that person that is sent by God and not select someone for themselves that would be able to deceive them. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. Specifically, the goal is that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets in which we died by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 
We note that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God, in accordance to which God sends to us His word by the mouth of His delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of God's delegated ones. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs in which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. This is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. We've noted that, according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. So to come to more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken words of the Apostles and Prophets. Second Peter 1, 2 through 8, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Sometimes these qualities in the Christian world are called the ladder to God. And if this ladder does not exist within the heart of man, he will not end up with the Lord, he will end up in a different place. So each of the seven qualities of the fruit of virtue that we are called to bear to God contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities as they flow one from the other, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God, our Heavenly Father. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Jesus Christ, and by Jesus Christ as well. The given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit by receiving the Holy Spirit into our heart as the Lord and Master of our life. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize to receive the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. God's faith is the means that we are to use. The faith of God comes from information of the heard word. Faith is from hearing the word of God. 
Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become a part of God's divine nature. Since the selective love of God demonstrated in, in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person here on earth before we are raptured to meet the Lord in the air. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue that we are called to bear to God. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals of man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God, and it's not the only place of scripture. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy, as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. We've noted that the measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1, 9. And again, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone. He sends rain upon the righteous and unrighteous. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright, Psalm 11, 5-7. The righteous, the Lord blesses with his reins, and the wicked, he destroys with his reins. The righteous, he caresses with his light, and the other, he burns with his sun. Only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon, we cannot find it these definitions of the love of God agape in any dictionary, human dictionary of the world. 
the love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses, in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8.29. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated, these boundaries identified at his burning holy, holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the abilities and qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 Therefore, by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identified the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man, in his words, his actions, and the manner in which he dresses. And also, very important, the manner in which he dresses, which isn't supposed to prompt the instincts of the opposite gender. We note that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God and his favor toward man and the godliness of a man which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of a man is his favor for God, a man's grace for God, and his thanksgiving. Godliness is the ability of a person to visit the fatherless and widow in their hardship and keep yourself being, from being defiled by the world. The godliness of a man is the ability to imitate Christ and meditate about the things of the hills and see God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. The godliness of God, when it comes toward to man, is his goodness toward man, his favor, and his grace towards man. That's a response, again, to the goodness or favor of a man to God. His favor toward God that he demonstrates, he shows. God then responds with his favor, his goodness, his mercifulness, his thanksgiving, his good work and good acts, his kindness in the absolute sense of the word. The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there's also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well, that conflicts with or resists the true form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. 2 Timothy 3.5 Do not communicate with such, distance yourself from such. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in the good habits that we have, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. 
Relevant to this, we need to answer the four classical questions, and these are, first, what are the characteristics of both God and man in Scripture? Second, what purpose does godliness have within the relationship of God with man and man with God? Third, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God or God's favor with our favor? And fourth, by what signs do we need to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we have already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God or attract the favor of God upon ourselves? Relevant to this, we have studied a series of conditions that we need to fulfill in order to turn or attract God's goodness upon us in His favor. Together we will pay attention to fulfill the next condition that is called to draw the goodness of God upon us in His favor. This is the necessity to honor your father and your mother and obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you. God says that he will give us his favor and this favor will be that you may live long on the earth. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Very few ever pay attention to this commandment, about which it states that this is the first commandment with promise. Considering the fact that parents that fear God represent the fatherhood and motherhood of God, man that refuses to obey his parents in the Lord is considered, according to Scripture, as a man who refuses to favor God. And such favor given to God in the form of your parents is the first commandment that is rewarded with God's favor, allowing man to live long on the earth. We need to consider not just our physical parents here, our father and our mother that fear God, but also parents that fear God in the form of that person that represents the fatherhood of God in a specific church of saints, the church which is a mother to all of us. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Galatians 4.25.26 In other words, God says that the Church of Jesus Christ, or a specific church, a specific sort church of saints, where a person is a member, is a mother for him. But a person that represents the fatherhood of God and demonstrates God to carry responsibility for this church, he is as a father again of God, uh, demonstrate the fatherhood of God. According to the Greek dictionary Strong, the word long-living, identifying the reward of God for obeying your parents and the Lord means, it means long-lasting or eternal. In other words, God has promised people on earth eternity in these mortal bodies. They in these bodies will be able to obtain eternity. No one has ever paid attention to that, that your long life is not just many years on earth, but eternity. 
Considering this, we can conclude that a man that favors God by obeying his parents in the Lord is given the promise of immortality here on earth or within the aspect of time, here in their mortal bodies again. Therefore, the promise of immortality on earth within the aspect of time contained within this commandment is the promise that belongs to the door of our hope. In the promise of a long life here on earth, God has promised that in the bodies of those who fulfill this commandment, the stronghold of death in the form of the old person with his deeds shall be destroyed and thrusted out with noise, and in its place shall be erected the stronghold of eternal life. And the opposite, one who does not obey his parents in the Lord, will be cursed and will inherit eternal death. Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Deuteronomy 27, 16. This commandment was established by God or was confirmed by Israel from the heights of Mount Ebal and Gerizim. In the book of Proverbs, a person that does not obey his parents in the Lord I'm always noting here, because that's what the scriptures, uh, we need to, in the Lord, obey, not just obey parents, but those who fear the Lord, the parents that fear the Lord, is considered, a person that does not obey his parents in the Lord is considered a person that mocks his parents and scorns scorns obedience to his parents. The repayment for violating his commandment is the ravens of the valley will pick your eye out and the young eagle will eat it. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it, pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. Proverbs 30, 17. Considering that this is a proverb, to understand it in physical terms should be is not sensible and unwise. For example, the word I in Hebrew is in the given proverb means the wellspring or spring, which indicates the heart of a man and independence of the state of the heart as a spring as your spring, either good or evil will flow. The I in the form of a good wellspring or spring within the essence of a man is the good soil of his heart capable of receiving and growing good seed that carries the revelations about our redemption within the law of, the, of sin and death and in part about the redemption of our body from the law of sin and death at the same time the eye in the form of a bad wellspring within the essence of a man is the bad soil of his heart capable of receiving and growing bad seeds in the form of thorns and bristles the lamp of the body is the eye. The ravens will pluck the eye out if you will be forsaking your parents. It's written, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Luke 11, 34 through 36. In Hebrew, mocking your father means contest or dispute his decision, insult, make fun of, and abuse. Forsaking obedience to your mother means express disdain, be arrogant, and dishonor. The ravens of the valley in Hebrew 
are ravens of the valley that dwell near the river flow, symbolizing the righteousness of God, standing guard of the boundaries of holiness in the form of saints given the authority of kings and priests of God. It's them that are called the descendants of these ravens that will pluck out the eye if you will be forsaking the obedience to your mother and mock your father. The young eagle or eaglets are the are not just uh, small little uh, chicks. These are the offspring of eagles possessing uh, the same genetics as their, their uh, adult eagles or their parents possessing good vision symbolizing prophets of the Most High given authority and power to foresee the desire that is within the heart of God and bring about or make happen the desire of God in his just judgments Returning to the favor of God promised to men that obey their parents in the Lord we conclude that obeying your parents is something we need to do within legit grounds or a field, which means within the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord. And this is not just parents, but any human authority we are called to obey only within the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord. Furthermore, obeying your parents in the Lord out of the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness, for which we will need to then share a destiny with our parents who have hated the truth. This can be well seen in the words of Christ spoken to one of his disciples, who thought that he needs to honor his parents independent from their opinion of the truth that Jesus preached. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He told this scribe that he should follow him because he says in your heart, your heart is a place where foxes live. Is, and it's all in holes. Your heart is a place and there are nests for, the, for, for unclean birds, for unclean thinking. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Matthew 8, 19 through 22. In other words, Christ said that the parents that have lost the fear of the Lord refuse to accept the truth that was spoken by Christ, that they are dead, and to honor them is not acceptable. You need to leave them and follow Christ. These words of Christ did not contradict the law of Moses. Parents that know God and hate the truth, according to the words of Christ, need to be left behind and hated. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, and his own life, also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14:26-27. Also written in two other 
books of the disciples. In the given words of Christ, he states that we need to leave the house of our Father and our life by carrying our cross, which we previously studied, as the yoke that we are called to bear from our youth, in order to pay the price for the right to be a student, and therefore draw upon ourselves the favor of God. The example of separating from your nation and with the house of your father is Abraham, who according to the command of God left his father Terah in Haran when he was 145 years old, after which Terah lived another 60 years and died at the age of 205 years in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord has spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran, Genesis 12, 1-4. The command to separate from the house of our father in the form of your parents and relatives who decided to hate the truth is presented in Scripture as a demonstration of the holiness of God without which none of us will see the Lord. Here's what the sons of Korah wrote about this in their psalm to the chief musician, the 45th psalm, set to the lilies, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, a song of love. There was a tool that they called as the lily that they used. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. This is what Apostle Paul writes in Hebrews about Christ and about every one of us. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All of your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear, forget your own people also, and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty, because he is your Lord, worship him. And the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift, the rich among the people will seek your favor. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her, com her companions, who follow her, shall be brought to you. With gladness and rejoicing they shall be brought, they shall enter the king's palaces. Psalm 45, 1-15 here shows the process of separating and when people don't understand and comprehend this process and refuse this process the house of their father to them is very important and and as so important that they are willing to lose salvation they are not able to separate with their old desires with their sinful desires yes the old person won't even be uh, uh, demonstrating himself as 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 much. Uh, he only reveals himself when you start separating from the house of your father and your personal life. That's when he begins to reveal himself. When you're favorable to the house of your father, relatives who have hated the truth, 
And the Lord said, leave them and follow me. The next condition to collaborate our favor with the goodness of God in his selective love consists in bringing a sheaf of the first fruits to the priest. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Leviticus 23, 9-13, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord, its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord, for a sweet aroma, and its drinking offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. According to the given instruction, satisfying them is called to draw the favor of God upon us. It is necessary for us to answer a series of questions. What is the land that is called to become our ownership or our lot? What is the first sheaf or sheaf of first fruits of our harvest that will draw the favor of God upon us with, when we bring them? Considering that the favor of God is his responsive reaction to our favor toward him, we need to ask the question, what promise are we to fulfill as, as God's favor in the given commandment? Because it, by itself the favor of God is not just his response to our towards him favor, but is also the promise which is a reward for the fulfillment of his will. And fourth, in what way and in what order do we bring the first sheaf of our harvest to the priest? Looking at the response to the first question, what is the land that is called to become our ownership or our lot? In the given command, we need to pay attention to two moments or phrases. The first phrase, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, we can receive and understand such a command only upon one condition, and that is if we will have an organic membership to the sons of Israel in the form of a specific church of saints, oriented on worshiping God in spirit and in truth, being led by a person that possesses the power of Moses, the power of the Father uh, of a Father of God. And the second phrase, if the church you... Uh, you attend does not worship God in spirit and in truth and the person that stands leader of the church is someone who's voted for or one who has selected himself then we will never receive such a command from God and will not be able to understand such a commandment by which we will be able to receive his favor and the second phrase when we when you come into the land which I give to you this speaks about the fact that it is not just to any person that this command can be given to, and not every person can understand and accept such a commandment, but only that person that has come out of the slavery of Egypt so that he can go and possess the Canaan land that God had given as an inheritance to Abraham and his descendants, his descendants by faith. When it's talking about the law, of Canaan, independence of 
Uh, of our heart, we consider uh, the soul of our heart and our body at the same time, this land, our body when we need to bear the fruits of the spirit, which is our harvest, to be liberated from the slaver of Egypt in our soul. We need the ten plagues where we, collaborating with the cross of Christ, need to bring forth these ten plagues upon our old man and even when we do this that doesn't mean we have yet possessed the land of Canaan the land of Canaan is where we are adopted and have been delivered from the law of sin and death in our body again taking control of the land of, e of, of Egypt or and came out of it doesn't mean yet that we've taken control of the land of Canaan yes we have cast off the old man with his deeds but we have not renewed our mind yet and we have not yet been clothed into our new person into the Canaan land second question what is the first sheaf or sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest that will draw the favor of God upon us within when we bring them and to answer this question we need to first identify the harvest from which you need to yield the first sheaf and bring it to the priest so that he can bring it to God and in order to shed some light upon the first sheaf of the harvest we need to pay, uh, consider that the first sheaf or the harvest is that is the result of the fact that we in our time sowed in our field and when we identify our sowing then we will identify our harvest as a whole and it will become for us well, uh, significantly clear what condition we need to fulfill in order to bring forth our first sheaf considering that bringing forth our first sheaf we will need to uh, pay attention to the feasts that took place in the time when this sheaf was brought. The feasts would sometimes end up at any time of, of, of the weekend, could uh, span lo for longer than a week. Um, again, this was these were the Sabbaths of the Lord and can go as long longer than sometimes a week and can be any day of the week or start at any day of the week. And so people who honor this, uh, the Sabbath day uh, physically or on Saturdays then how can they explain this place of scripture that uh, that identifies the Sabbath day that was celebrated uh, sometimes seven days or longer and was called the Sabbath day? How can you then explain uh, this place of scripture when when they think you can you need to physically honor the Sabbath only one day a week? The Sabbath is an eternal day, which is the body of Christ where the Lord has magnified his word above all of his name. This is the body of Christ together with Christ, where God finds his rest. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from your field. We need to note that the harvest itself had three different parts and was always a feast in the New uh, and was a specific feast that then was identified in the New Testament. Every feast or festival contained a specific name of God and contained a specific promise of God. The first was associated with Pesach. 
and the Feast of the Breads or Showbreads, where in the other day of the feast, in the 15th day of, of Nisan till the 22nd of Nisan the feast of Pesach was called Hag Aviv again it was in this, within the span of 7 days in our calendar this was about the 31st day of March to the 6th of April in remembrance of the exodus of the Hebrews from Egyptian slavery in the Bible, the name of the Hebrew holiday Pesach is the Lamb Pesach. The word Pesach is from the word to stumble or to uh, hop over something or to be left untouched. When the Lord destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, he did not touch the house of the Jews. He pretty much jumped over them or bypassed them. This is what Pesach means. Sometimes in our translation, I will pass you by. I will see the blood and pass you by. In the original, it says, I will hop over you or jump over you. He needs to go directly, and so he pretty much jumps over the house and goes to the next one. In the first day of the feast, they were required to eat the sacrifice. In the second day of, the, of Pesach, they needed to bring forth barley. And so the 14th day of Nisan in the month, month of, in the month of Nisan, they would bring forth uh, the sacrifice, uh, Pesach. The second day, they brought forth the barley where they would then eat these grains. And so according to scripture, the priest would wave the, the sheaf in the day of the festival of the showbreads. Offering your first sheaf to the Lord, to uh, to your priest, is our resurrection with Christ from the dead and our part being a partaker of the family of God. And so, again, this makes us a participant of resurrection, and we are the ones that need to bring forth this first sheaf. This fruit, Enoch, was Methuselah. He was his firstborn. What did he do, this Methuselah, the one that drives away death? And so it turns out that this first sheaf was Methuselah. This was our Methuselah. What does it mean to bring your first sheaf to the Lord? That means to present victory over death that lives within us in the form of our old person. In scripture, all that was firstborn was God's belonging and was very holy. Being a part specifically of this first part of the celebration of the harvest where the first sheaf was brought to the priest gave us the right to enter into the second part 
of the Feast of the Harvest. Enoch then bore many more sons and daughters, it says. second part of the Feast of the Harvest was called the Festival of Shuvuot, celebrated from the 6th to 7th of Sivan, 20th to 21st days of May. In the Torah, it's called Hag Abikarim. This is the Feast of the Harvest, First Fruits, which was also called the Harvest of the Weeks. In essence, this was a celebration of freedom or deliverance from all debt and slavery, which was which indicates the deliverance of our body of reigning sin within our that is within our body, being supported by the old person with his deeds. The feast of the Pentecost was not just the coming down of the Holy Spirit but receiving the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of your life in your heart. And the basis for receiving the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of your life within your life or within your heart is our being a part of being the firstborn of Christ by bringing your first sheaf to the priest. We can't uh, take part in the festival of the Pentecost if we will not bear the first sheaf, the first fruit. We bring it when we begin to consider ourselves dead to, to sin, living for God. That's when we receive the right to enter into the Pentecost. Not for the right to receive baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, but the right to receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life. And these are two different completely different things. For the most part, people who speak in tongues are people who do not have the Spirit and have not received the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of their life. Their soul is in uh, and their flesh is the one that leads their services to God. And so being a part of the second part of the Festival of the Harvest gave us the right to enter into the third phase or part of the Festival of the Harvest. And so when you bring your first sheaf to the Lord, and now the entire harvest will be blessed, you will inherit all the rest, but that first sheaf you need to separate and bring to God. And so being a part of the second, and when you receive him as the Lord and master of your life, he gives you the right to enter into the third part of the festival of the harvest. All are one, but there's three parts. Third part of the festival of harvest was called the festival of Sukkot. It was from the 15th to 23rd days of Tishrei, 24th to 30th of September, is linked to the exodus of the Jews from Egypt. This is the Feast of the Gathering of the Harvest, finishing the village work for the year. The Feast of Sukkot is also called the Festival of Tabernacles. This is a Jewish fall festival celebrated in the Jewish, Jewish month of Tishrei at the end of September. A unique element of the Festival of Sukkot is the commandment to live in a special tent called Sukkah, which is a, a tent. Sukkot continues for seven days, and it is a custom to live in such a tent for the entire span of the festival, in remembrance of the cloud of glory, protecting the nation from the burning sun of the desert in the daytime, and warming and providing light to them in the nighttime, at the time of the exodus from Egyptian slavery. Within the span of 40 years, they did live in such tents. Being a participant of the form of the Festival of Tabernacles is testimony and a guarantee that when the time comes to be raptured in the time appointed by the Heavenly Father, we will be raptured and meet the Lord in the air.
it is interesting that in the Torah, three festivals, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, are within one group. Together, together these three festivals are called Shalosh Regalim, that is the three annual pilgrimages, Shmat. Exodus 23:14. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. The blessing contained in the three feasts of pilgrimage, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot festival tabernacles, providing God a basis to drive out all of the enemy nations from our land that we know as the destruction of the stronghold of death within our body and thrusting out from within our body reigning sin, being supported by the old person with his deeds. These three festivals obligated every Jew to go up to Jerusalem to offer a special offering of pilgrimage in the temple. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, in plowing time, in harvest you shall rest, and you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat, harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, for I will cast out from the nations be- out the nations from before you, and enlarge your borders, neither Will any man covet your land when you go to appear before the Lord, your God, three times in the year? The three pilgrimages. Our field or soil where we sow and reap what we sow is the soil of the good heart or our conscience cleansed from dead works capable of receiving and growing the good seed of the kingdom of God into the fruit of the tree of life. The good seed containing the informational program of the kingdom of heaven is the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, called to condemn sin within our body, to deliver our body from the slavery of reigning sin that is in the flesh. As it is written, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin he condemned sin in the flesh (coughs) that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit (coughs) Romans 8 1 through 4 if the conscience of a man by being instructed in the faith will not be cleansed from dead works The soil of the human heart will remain not good or not good for preparation and receipt of good seed, which is why such a person will not have any ability in humility to receive the word for planting so that you can then grow in salvation from it. Dead works are works of the flesh, but good work, when the flesh decides to preach, to evangelize, to do good work. When a person does does this, not being inspired by the Holy Spirit, but being inspired by the flesh. When a person is inspired by the flesh, a person begins to do good work for many missionary organizations. Practically, we don't have the right uh, to provide to any missionary organization except for the one we are in the one that is your local church, not any other. 
because for the most part, these missionary organizations are not linked to any church at all. Not any, not based by a church, not uh, created by churches, but just created by men. And these organizations are businesses. People don't see this. They use them, they send them, they teach them. These unfortunate people are sent thinking they're fulfilling the will of the Father. But it's not the church that sent them. The church is always a missionary organization, but an or a missionary organization is not always a church. The bride is always the church, but the church is not always the bride. <coughs> a worshiper of God, a warrior in prayer is always an anointed of God. But a, an anointed of God is not always a worshiper of God. David was a worshiper of God and anointed. <coughs> Saul was not a worshiper of God, but was anointed. And so do not mistake these things. We need to always differentiate these things clearly. After a person receives his salvation in justification, given to him in Christ Jesus freely, it is necessary for this person to cleanse his conscience from dead works. When a person receives justification, his conscience is not yet de uh, cleansed from dead works. It is given to him. He now has the opportunity to cleanse his heart by the justification that is given to us as a guarantee. And the time allowed to begin the process of cleansing your conscience from dead works by the method of sanctification that is offered to him upon the strict conditions of the truth in Scripture is the time when he needs to leave the form of the life of a spiritual infant, the life where he is incapable of refusing the bad and choosing the good that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up, grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love Ephesians 4 14 through 16 the category of infants that stumble and are attract, attracted to every uh, wind of doctrine are Christians where the elementary principles of Christ is not just perceived as foolishness but also an offense. A person of the flesh does not receive what is of the Spirit. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord of the Lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ Apostle Paul writes about himself and his disciples 1 Corinthians 2 14 through 16 to speak about uh, the kingdom of heaven with fleshly men is not just dangerous but also useless when uh, it says in the Bible do not cast your pearls to pigs when you want to describe what a pig is according to scripture they began to yell oh so you're calling us pigs we came here to find peace but you call us pigs they, they themselves testified the fact that they're pigs because I don't call anyone this 
I show what a pig is according to scripture and what a dog is according to scripture. I didn't say it's you or me. I am st uh, stating these words for everyone, but for some reason, they think that they're being insulted uh, when you begin to speak of spiritual things. They uh, perceive this as an offense uh, against them personally. And when they begin to get offended, they sometimes physically even uh, try, try to attack you. You will tell this person and indicate the truth that is written in Scripture, point them to the truth in the Holy Scriptures, but this person will just see this as uh, as pretty much a great uh, offense against him. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but to a carnal, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. First Corinthians three one. According to Scripture, this infancy, spiritual infancy, is a conscience a resistance against the truth of God. And if a person will not be clothed into the mantle of a student of Christ, the soil of his heart will never be able to, in uh, humility, to accept the planted word. The infant that it's referring to that category of infants that the scriptures are writing about are not students if they are uh, attracted by every d wind of doctrine in the internet or anywhere else he can't be a student a student is one who accepts one specific teacher and his helpers of course it can't be that the one and the one and the other I look I watch everyone I follow everyone one says I come I take a little bit from there a little bit from there so where are you going to end up imagine a woman that sleeps with everyone I'll just go there and there and there How, what do you call this woman and especially if she's not paid but she pays for it God says of Israel Pro prostitute she earns by doing what she does but you pay so that everyone sleep that passes by but one says I don't think that I'm looking at the internet or looking at uh, other other people on the internet and listening to everyone that I'm one of these kinds of women he, he says that he doesn't think he's one of those and I said, well, yeah, a fleshly person will never consider uh, what the scripture says. Saul always said, I decided that this would be better. He didn't, uh, he wouldn't acknowledge what uh, uh, Samuel would tell him. He uh, would come back to his own personal head and what he thought would be better at the moment. And Samuel said, would tell him, what have you done? God has taken your kingdom from you. But he says, I didn't, I didn't consider this to be uh, something bad or, or as this gentleman says, being such a unique prostitute that I am not really one of them. So there's another form of infancy, spiritual infancy, that where it says, be as a, a child who accepts only his, his or her mother and father and differentiates the voice of his father and mother from tens of thousands of others. That's a different. That's a different form of infancy, and so don't put everyone in one uh, in one group. Uh, these are two different uh, things.
An infant only feels comfort upon the uh, breast of his mother. He knows her by smell, by the uh, timbre of her voice, and runs from another, is afraid of another voice. Third question. Fulfilling what promise do we need to see as receiving God's favor? Because by itself, the favor of God, as we've talked about, is not just a response to our to him favor but also a promise that is our reward for fulfilling his will in scripture such a reward is the power for the right to eat of the of the tree of of life the fruits of the tree of life he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes i will give to eat from the tree of life which is the in the midst of the paradise of god revelations 2 7 the fruit of the tree of life that has grown in the good from the good seed within our heart is in the form of a humble or a wholesome tongue. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15:4. A wholesome tongue is the result of a humble heart. They work together as one command. The commandment contained, containing the promise to have this wholesome tongue identifies a good the good goals and motives of your heart the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise if the righteous will be recompensed on the earth how much more the ungodly and the sinner proverbs 11 30 31 the fruit of the tree of life and the good heart of a man is called to be as a reward for him on earth and this indicates the reward of the stronghold of life within the body of man, where which will be given to him here on earth so that it could be testimony that he has pleased God. And so in this situation, the harvest as a whole is the res reward for fulfilling the commandments of the Lord and for waiting with patience for the promises that are called to be fulfilled here on earth. Psalm 19, 9 through 11, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. And so... Looking at this great reward, when you bring your first sheaf to the Lord, is our is determined by our behavior to the reward that we're going to get. And so bringing again your sheaf to the Lord is presented as your body that is given to God or presented to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Destroying the stronghold of death within our body in the aspect of time or here on earth and directing the stronghold of life is the primary reward in the eyes of God and the eyes of man. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughters of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with them and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Isaiah 62, 11 through 12. This is a prophetic allegory, and it's not talking about when we'll be in heaven. It's talking about us being still here on earth. B bringing the first sheaf of your harvest is confirming or establishing within our body the kingdom of heaven when we by being instructed in the faith receive the promise that is the stronghold of life for our body which is the kingdom of heaven within our body 
not in our mind or our spirit, but in our body, God will receive the basis to make from the non-existent existent. When the time comes to fulfill that promise, that is within his decision and his power. Establishing the stronghold of life within our body is a sign that we've received the favor of God. And so God may receive the basis to establish or confirm the already present in us stronghold of life. We need to bring to him in bringing to him our uh, the sheaf of our first fruits we need something more one more thing this is the question in what way or what order do we need to bring the first sheaf of our first fruits to the lord and the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel and say to them when you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath of the priest shall wave it and you shall offer on that day when you have waved the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah fine flour mixed with oil when it says to bring that means separate the holy from the unholy lamb uh, 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 lamb itself is pure but only the one that is separated is the one that is holy the harvest is the reward but the holy is that sheaf that was separated for the Lord we're not bringing the entire harvest to the Lord and God did not demand that we bring him the entire harvest he says bring me uh, the first uh, sheaf of the first fruits and when you bring this sheaf it sanctifies then the entire harvest the entire harvest becomes holy for the sake of this first sheaf that you brought to the Lord offering it to the Lord is bringing it is the first fruit this is the first gathering this is the better part of the fruit and to wave it you needed to bring it and then wave it the priest need to wave it before the Lord to wave means uh, a burnt offering uh, restoring your rights to you uh, vengeance for and rewarding for a good life and so forth and so offering your it says here you also need to when you sh uh, wave the, the, the sheaf before the Lord you also need to bring forth the male lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and grain offering and so first year when it says year first year male lamb of the first year is the year of the Lord so he's taken from time and placed over time that doesn't he doesn't this doesn't identify specific when it says year this is eternity and it is not linked to time the year of my redeemed has come and the first that lamb of the first year speaks of eternity so eternal uh, justification was obtained when we receive justification we need to bring forth our, before God we need have that, that we have eternal justification we received it and it is eternal then also the grain offering shall be two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil this is evidence that we need to bring before the Lord when we uh, wave our sheaf that in our heart we have the holy truth in the form of the Urim and Thummim. Tenth is the, ten is the law. 
It is the perfection of the law. Why two-tenth of an ephah? The Urim and Thummim, Urim is the truth, or Thummim is the truth, and Urim is the revelation of the Holy Spirit revealing this truth, this Thummim, and presenting the oil. The truth by itself cannot be oil without being mixed. Only when you combine the fine flour mixed with oil, the Holy Spirit and the Word, then the truth becomes alive. It becomes different. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. That is evidence that within our heart we have upright joy. Every time when we finish our service, we proclaim this very surprising manifestation that God is able to place us before himself and uh, uh, without uh, blemish, without sin. Our joy needs to be without any uh, blemishes, without any faults, without anything. This is the stronghold of life within our body. Only it does not have any blemish and without spot. This is that first sheaf. I believe that when you by faith receive this promise, you by faith receive the seed of your firstborn Methuselah. Possibly some already bore him and already confessed this, proclaiming the non-existent as existent. Continue to do this, and you will be blessed before the Lord. And now you have the first sheaf, Methuselah. You bring before him and thank God that we hear all of these symbols in Scripture. They weren't just written. Why would God write all this and leave it for us, these symbols, so that we in these symbols would be able to see in what way we are called to enthrone within our body the stronghold of eternal life here on earth? This is one of the glorious promises that God has been wanting to happen for all eternal since time began to finally be victorious within the body of his redeemed, to finally enter and become and live within this house. And when he begins to live within this house, not looking at the fact that it's still mortal and not glorified, the presence of the stronghold of life, eternal life, will change our bodies already here on earth. It will not make them glorious as the body of the Lord yet, because this will happen in the moment of rapture but it will make the body of his people in a way that will bring fear upon this world and they will also surprise the angels of heaven. The angels of heaven will become in awe of the body of a man that they uh, serve. They will see this glory and will now serve the immortality. Today the angels of the God of God serve the mortal and and corrupt as it is in time and they being immortal do, do serve the mortal but the time will come before rapture the body will become immortal <coughs> we are at we are at the door of this happening look what's happening in the world in nature what's happening in the r religious world all of this uh, talks about the fact that we are very close to when the father will say sufficient and it will happen let us bend our knees and pray and all those who desire to resist the sin that they are in, the slavery of sin they're in.
slavery of their lusts, we wait for you so that the Lord would be able to deliver you. Uh, believe in that, that he is able to deliver you. You can't do this on your own. You want it, but you can't do it without him. Come to him and he will deliver you from the fear of illnesses, hunger, any form of fear and phobia, and we will pray for you. We wait for you here. Amen. I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that the Lord is on your side. He is not against you. He has loved you with an eternal love. He is capable of fulfilling his word if you trust him. Whatever may happen with you, not looking at the fact that you feel that you are in shackles of sin and slaves of sin and you can't come out yourself. God can do this. Continue to go to Him. Confess your sins and He will show you His mercy. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to the Lord that you're a sign that you're ready to receive what He wants to give you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with a broken heart, with great struggles as they have surrounded me. The shackles of sin hold me, and I have seen that sorrow and suffering but I call to you from my suffering. Hear my voice. I love you. I hate sin. Break these shackles of sin. Destroy them, these chains of destruction. Heal my soul. I believe in your word. I believe in your power, in the power of your blood, and the power of your cross. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored. I am delivered, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May he bless you, may he look upon you with his great face, and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all of these blessings, that of the ancient valleys and hills, be on you and upon your children, and the nation shall say, Amen. The Holy Spirit, it is good to him that we not be disappointed if any of you coming out and falls into sin before the next service but you hate sin you only fall in there because you're a slave of sin but continue to proclaim and call the non-existent as existent continue to consider yourself dead to sin living for God the scriptures say if the righteous falls seven times he will rise again 
God does not see you as wicked and lawless if you have fallen in dependence of sin. Believe that the day will come when you will be free. If God was able to make it happen with me and some of you, he'll do it with all. I thank our God and testify before you, God made me free from sin. Not in that I consider myself dead, but physically free. Sin no, long, no longer has power to control and rule in me, and I don't bend before him. That is why he will do also the same thing with you, because you follow as I, me as I follow Christ after the truth you receive that truth that the Lord has revealed to you not because I'm so good but because he has loved you that's why don't fall and don't be disappointed in heart believe in the words of Christ and you will be successful let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.